Okay, please have your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, this will be the plan of salvation for anybody who may ask us over the next two weeks how to be saved, and this is where you'll take them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 1, please. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, but which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first, well, that which also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also as a one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am of what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I laboured more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Whether therefore it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. 11 verses from 1 Corinthians 15 give us a clear picture of salvation, how to be saved. And yes, you can find the plan of salvation in the first four Gospels in the New Testament. But Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, as our apostle, was given the gospel of the grace of God. Let's break this down in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, moreover, brothers, moreover, Spiritual family, moreover saints, I declare unto you the gospel, meaning good news, which I preached unto you, past tense, which also ye have received. So they've received it, and wherein ye stand. Now positionally, we know that when we get saved, we are perfect in the eyes of the Lord, we have an imputed righteousness. But practically, that can fluctuate. That's what we're told in First John chapter 1, to confess our sins, to be in fellowship with the Lord. Not to be saved, and not to stay saved, but because God is holy, we need to be holy as well. And he goes and tells us in verse 2, by which also ye are saved. So you can't miss it. They're saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, when I looked at this some months ago, especially during our Switzerland outreach, I was of the opinion then, and I still am, that it was possible that some of the Corinthians thought that perhaps they were saved by a law and grace situation. And most dispensationalists believe that in the tribulation, it's faith and works to be saved. And they think that for the Old Testament, it was faith and works to be saved. And for the millennium, it's just works. Never mind faith. And yet I can't accept that. And I say to my dispensational brethren that if it's works just for the millennium and no faith, because Christ is on the earth, go back to the Gospels where Christ told you that unless you believe I am, you'll die in your sins. So you need faith in the Messiah, which then produces works. And I can't hold to the view that it's faith and works for the Old Testament, faith and works for the tribulation, and then works alone for the millennium. It gets too confusing. On top of that, if you're not careful, you're going to have a two-tier system. You'll have people arriving in eternity, say tribulation saints, who will say, well, I got saved by faith and works. You know, I'm pretty holy. I'm pretty, you know, pretty smart kind of person. I'm pretty special. And then we arrive, the church age saints, well, we're saved by grace alone. It creates a two-tier system. I can't accept that. On top of that, it pictures us as somehow junior saviors or junior partners in our atonement with the saviour. Either he dies for all of our sins, or he doesn't. And therefore, I don't accept the full dispensational view of the scripture. On top of that, some of our dispensational brethren take the difficult passages in scripture, like 1 John chapter 3, he that is born of God doesn't sin, uh, or we sin willfully after we see the knowledge of truth, so on and so forth. There's no more sacrifice of sins. They put those verses in the tribulation, because they can't deal with them for the church age. And I don't believe that's the correct uh, way to interpret the scripture either. But here, Paul is writing to church in 
Corinth, a very carnal church, the only church that wanted to have all the sign gifts, and of course tongues was the least of all the sign gifts. In fact, tongues is only found three times in the book of Acts. Acts 2 for the apostles, Acts 10 for Cornelius and co, and Acts 19 for the friends and associates of Apollos, who came to the Messiah through John's baptism. That's it. Uh, Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. It, you listen to some of these people today, you would think the entire New Testament is about tongues, and it's not. But the concern is, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, unless you thought works were somehow part of the equation, unless you thought, like the Galatians did, that they needed to do religion, you know, in, in a sense to keep themselves topped up or to somehow please the Lord. And he says, no, in verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which also received, not from the apostles, from Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 9, how that Christ died for our sins. Now, if you miss that, how that Christ died for our sins, you're going to go to hell. Because there's no other way to be redeemed outside of Christ Jesus. According to the scriptures foretold back in the Old Testament, around 68 to 100 prophecies. You won't find that in the Quran or the Hindu literatures. And that he was buried and that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Daniel 9, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. It was clearly revealed to the Jews that the Messiah would come. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And that the Jews missed the Messiah. Because according to John chapter 5, they didn't even believe in the scripture itself. They're what we call political people. And today we say they are giving the Lord lip service. And they've seen a Cephas, being Peter, then of the twelve. You've got eyewitnesses. We saw him come up out of the tomb. And some of those eyewitnesses wrote the New Testament. And yet the Quran, written 200 years after Muhammad died. Not even by Muhammad, but by a guy called Uthman, who was a secretary. And then the Hadith comes along 250 years after Muhammad has died. And we are told by Muslims that we can trust that. I don't think so. The New Testament was written by eyewitnesses from 39 AD to 76, 75 AD, excluding Revelation, by those that knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I've said this before and said again that if you were to read this epistle around 55 AD, you could have said to uh, Paul or Peter... Where did these events take place? And he would have said to you they took place in Jerusalem. In fact, verse 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And you could have gone back to Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Nazareth, and you could have said to those people, did you really see him? What did you see? And they would have said to you, yes, we saw the risen Christ. Eyewitnesses, over 500 brethren at once, saw him simultaneously. And yet the Quran can't come anywhere near this of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And I think Mary Magdalene fell asleep around this time because, according to the Gospels, she saw the Lord Jesus Christ. She was the first to see him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us that Mary Magdalene was the first person to see the risen Christ. And here, Paul admits her because I think she's dead. And if people say, well, Paul was a chauvinist, uh, he was sexist, he was misogynist. No, he wasn't. He just told you over 500 people saw him at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present the apostles the 70 mary the mother of lord jesus christ and maybe some of the brethren but some like mary magdalene are fallen asleep after that he was seen a james his half brother and all the apostles and yet james from acts 21 wanted paul to shave his head he wanted paul to offer a sacrifice he wanted paul to go into the temple and appease the jews he wanted the jews to be uh, pleased that he hadn't abandoned the old covenant, even though Christ had told us he'd come to fulfill the old covenant. And Paul, to his credit, walked a fine line. 
On the one hand, he wanted to bring more Jews into the body of Christ. And yet, at the other hand, Galatians 2, 3, 4, and 5, he'd be scathing of those that were preaching a faith and works package. In fact, Galatians chapter 1, he says, Some of you have departed from the truth, and you've received another gospel, which is not another gospel. It's an accursed gospel. So he got Paul very much boxed in, trying to please both parties, and you can't serve two masters, as the Lord Jesus Christ told us. And yet, what can you do? This is how the early church were trying to deal with these situations. But it goes on to tell us, eight, and last of all, he was seen of me also as a one born out of due time. Acts 9, Acts 22, you get two accounts of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, and people say they don't tally, they don't match. Of course they don't match. You've got two different accounts of the same events. They won't match. If they matched, then somebody is copying someone else, but they can complement one another. They don't contradict. In Acts chapter 9, you've got the basic accounts of how Paul got saved. But in Acts 21, 22, and 23, you've got Paul explaining to a third party, a group of people, exactly what happened. And he's adding more information as to what happened in Acts chapter 9. Plus, Jesus Christ is revealing more information to him, which we find in Acts 22. There's no contradiction whatsoever in the scriptures. From the least of the apostles, they'll not meet to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Yes, you did, Paul. You were the sheriff of Jerusalem. You went around killing people, detaining people. You thought you were doing the Lord a service. John chapter 16. And Christ told you. He told us that such people didn't even know him. And today we've got Muslims going around the world killing people. We've got Catholics seducing people. We've got evangelicals apostatizing and trying to get people into Catholicism. And they too think they are doing God a service. That somehow they're doing God a favor. That somehow they are pleasing him. They're lost. And they're going to be absolutely horrified. And the judgment comes around. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. Exodus chapter 3, same sort of language. I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It does mirror, doesn't it not? Uh, Exodus chapter 3. Paul isn't claiming to be you know, the eternal one, you understand. He's just saying that I am what I am. And his grace which was spoken upon me was not in vain. There's our word again, vain. But I labor more abundantly than it all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Christ comes to the earth. He chooses 12 apostles. Some are related. He has a 70. And I think Dr. Luke was in that 70. And he equips them to go out and heal people left, right and center. Matthew chapter 7. He says, you'll know them by their fruits concerning false teachers. And people say, there you are. You see, you can spot a false teacher by his fruits. If that were the case, then wouldn't Judas have been spotted? He wasn't spotted. The apostles couldn't spot Judas as a false prophet. It's not always easy to spot a false prophet or false teacher. You've got the 12. You've got the 70. And Judas, according to John uh, six was a devil, a demon. And yet the Lord says, no, I want someone else to come along. That 12 are good. That 70 are all very well. And Dr. Luke is one of the 70. But I want someone else to come along. I want someone like Saul of Tarsus to come along. I want a religious zealot to come along. I want a fanatic to come along. I want to change him. I want to turn him, as I say in the intelligence world. We're going to turn him. He's going to work for us now. And Saul of Tarsus comes along. He's on his horse up to Damascus. He's got letters, arrest warrants to detain some of the early Christians. He is fuming, mad, he wants to kill them all. And you know the word of God, it tells us he was knocked off his horse, and for three days he was blind. I mean, literally blind. And Ananias comes along, says, Brother Saul, receive the sight, and he gets his sight back. And, you know, the rest, he writes the New Testament. But it's fascinating to me that you've got 82 men, minus Judas, make it 81, put Matthias in, 82 men. And yet those 82 men couldn't write most of the New Testament. It would take one man, the Apostle Paul, to write the New Testament, or most of it, and travel the world. 
And it's a fascinating picture that. Why didn't the Lord use one of the 70 or one of the 11? Why couldn't Peter do it, the so-called Pope of Rome? It was given to the Apostle Paul. And yet Matthew 7 again, by their fruits you will know them. Well, they didn't spot Judas, did they? And sometimes you won't spot a false teacher if he's right in front of you. This is the truth of the matter. Wherefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believed. And that's what it comes back to believe. Believe in Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You're saved by believing and you're damned by not believing. But what do you need to believe on? You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to trust him as your saviour. And that's all. The greatest picture in the scripture was a thief on a cross. He's dying. He's probably a murderer on top of being a thief. And he turns to Jesus Christ. He's probably seen him during his three and a half year ministry. But his old life is caught up with him. He's put on a cross and he turns to Christ and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ says, no wise, when I come into my kingdom, you know, you'll be there with me. No works involved, no baptism involved, no repentance involved, no tithing involved. It's simply receiving what Christ has done for us. And people say, well, that sounds, you know, all very good and well, but I don't want somebody paying my price for me. And I had a conversation with a Muslim some years ago in Manchester. And he said to me, I don't want somebody to pay my price for me. I want to take my own hit. That was his word. I want to take my own chances. And I said to him, well... You might think you can take your own chances. You might think, you know, you can do your own thing to appease the Lord. But the chances are that when push comes to shove, you will take a helping hand. If we were driving down a motorway and our car broke down and somebody said, can I offer you a helping hand? Chances are you say, yes, please. You wouldn't say, no, thank you. I'll push the car home myself. Or, you know, you need a dental appointment. You know, your tooth is about to fall out. And you go to the dentist and they say, I'm sorry, I can't see you till next Wednesday. And someone says, you can have my, my appointment. Who would say, no, thank you, I'll wait another week? Nobody would. Or you've had a car crash, you need a blood transfusion, or something serious, and you rush to the hospital, and they say, we can help you, but we need to give you a blood transfusion. You say, no, thank you, I've had a good life. I'm happy to die at 35 years of age, for example. Nobody would say that. I mean, some people would, of course. The JWs, perhaps. But even now, the courts get involved. They take a court order out, and they force a child to have a blood transfusion. They overrule the parents. But my point is this. When push comes to shove... If you need someone to help you, you will take that helping hand, unless you are not right upstairs. Most people say, yes, I need a helping hand. I can't save myself. Just look back over the last 60, 70, 80 years. World War II, Britain had to mobilize thousands of troops. Um, America had to mobilize millions of troops. Russia had to mobilize millions of troops. The Germans had to mobilize millions of troops. Those men went in the place of others. And whether you're a CEO or not, put that to one side for one moment. Somebody had to go and fight on your behalf. So I put it to you that if it came down to it, you would take a substitute for yourself. So you're saved by believing, and you are damned by not believing. On top of that, when we sin against God, only God himself can forgive us. That's why Christ can't be Michael the Archangel. He can't be a good man. He has to be God manifest in the flesh. On top of that, if he wasn't God manifest in the flesh, how would our sins be imputed to him? What purpose would it serve? There was a story back in 1964 of a New York district judge and a man came in to see him. He'd been caught, I think, stealing food. He was a homeless man. And the judge called him before the bench and he said, you've been found guilty of stealing to buy food, so on and so forth. And he said, by the laws of New York, 1964, I'm going to find you guilty because you've broken the law, you've stolen. I think he stole some money to buy some food. And the judge got up, walked round to the front of the bench, paid the man's fine. This is a true story. Went back to the bench, sat down and said, Case dismissed. The judge paid the fine of the criminal and he charged the court to pay himself back. That's a picture of justification. 
We sin against God, and God says, I can forgive you if you accept my payment. But I've got to become a man, or I've got to enter the human race, to live the way that mankind lives, to redeem man from the curse of the law. So God becomes a man in Christ Jesus. He comes to the earth. He lives a life that we couldn't live. He fulfills the law for us. He then dies on a cross and goes back to heaven. So that judge in 1964, maybe he was saved, maybe he wasn't saved, I don't know, pictures what Christ did 2,000 years ago. He pays the price of the criminal in New York. And he says, you are now free to go, case dismissed. And in America, they have what's called double jeopardy, which we haven't got here, which means you can't be tried twice for the same crime. And yet people say, well, the grace of God, 10, sounds all very good, but I'm still a pretty good person. I'm not a wicked person. Well, put yourself back under the law. I mean, for example, if you are a driver in the UK, maybe different overseas, I don't know, but in the UK, if you are a driver, if you drive too slowly, you can be pulled over. Maybe it's different overseas, I don't know, but in the UK, they can pull you over and give you a ticket for driving too slowly. You've broken the law. And I've seen it. I've seen these programs. I've seen people driving 25 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. And you can be pulled over for that. I mean, never mind going over the limit, which most people do. How about going under the limit? The minute you start to examine yourself in light of Scripture, you think, wow, I really am a, you know, a wicked person. I don't think people realize what's going to happen when the judgment comes around. Now, we know we're saved by grace. And we're kept saved by God's grace. And we all have that in common this morning. And that's a pretty rare thing to be able to, you know, to, be able to say. Because most people that I know think you're not saved by grace. Most people think they can lose their salvation. And they are trying their best to stay saved. And it's devastating. I mean, we got an email overnight from a guy in America, I think he's American, and he found us seven years ago online, and he watched our videos, got a great blessing from our videos, and he lost our channel. I'm not sure how it happened. And he strayed for seven years, and he got caught up with the Lordship Salvation crew, he got caught up with the Armenian crowd, uh, the Sinners Prayer Brigade, so on and so forth, and he said, I'm absolutely messed up with it all. My head is spinning with it all. Am I saved? Did I lose it? Was I saved all along? You guys are such a help to me. I lost you. I've now found your channel again. So on and so forth. I'll get back to this guy in the next couple of days and I'll do what I can to help him. But he's typical of most people, especially in the West, who come to the Lord, sometimes via the sinner's prayer, which can't save you, of course. And they think that if they do this or that, or if they abstain from this or that, they stay saved. And they torch themselves, trying to live up to this way of life, which you can't live up to. And they completely bypass what grace is. And these... 11 verses, if you miss it, will cost you your soul. And yet most people, if you were to ask them to explain grace to you, couldn't do it if their life depended upon it. I'm talking about saved people. Even saved people. And people say, well, you've got to repent of all of your sins. It's impossible. And if you could repent of all of your sins, why didn't a thief on the cross repent of all of his sins? You know, why not get off the cross and make restitution to those that he had wronged? It wasn't even necessary. What did Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians? I wasn't sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Christ imputes his righteousness to those that receive it by faith. It's as simple as that. And yet it is missed by so many people. Catholics, Protestants, SDA, Mormons, JWs. They are all lost people. And yes, there may be some saved people that got saved in spite of that system and stayed in it because their friends and family are in it. I think of the Mormons. A guy meets a Mormon girl, he marries her, and uh, he ends up working for her father. He can't get out of that system because that's his livelihood. And it's going to cost him something to come out of that system. They have Mormon children and they are locked into that system. And it becomes a surrogate system for them. And yet here we are this morning, all eight of us from four different countries, for the sole purpose of preaching Jesus Christ. That's pretty rare. Not say come to our church. In fact, somebody showed me a track the other day. I think it was you who showed it to me. And uh, it uh, was about a barbecue. Come to our barbecue meeting. And I read the tract. I think it was from Wigan, or was it from Manchester, I can't remember. And it had on the side, uh, we have a bouncy castle event this coming Sunday at 3pm. We have a barbecue afterwards. 
uh, get your face painted. It's going to be a great, you know, time of, of enjoyment. I said to myself and the others that showed it to him, I said, where is the gospel on this? If I was dying and I found myself in a, a wooded area, and this is a true story, this happened a few years ago, not with me, somebody was going through a wooded area and he was going to kill himself. This is a true story. And he came across a tract like this. And he read this tract and he got saved. Because it tells you how to be saved on here. Not how to get your face painted. Not how to enjoy a nice bouncy castle. Not how to dress up as uh, Coco the Clown. It was how to be saved. And once you got saved, you want to further help. Here were the contact details. This guy read the tract, got saved, and went on his way rejoicing. But what I was shown the other day was something not even half what this is. And it was pitiful. And I said to myself, what is going on here? There's no plan of salvation on this tract. And that's typical. What they're saying is this. You want to know the truth? Come to our meeting. And the pastor will explain the truth to you. Come to the kingdom hall. Come to the steakhouse. Speak to the priest. Speak to the vicar. And he will explain the gospel to you. If he knows it himself. Chances are he doesn't. Whereas we say no. Come to the saviour today. Trust on him. And he will save you. It's between you and Christ. And that's a rare thing. That's a very rare thing. And I'm not bragging. I'm just making it you know, as clear as I can. And as honest as I can. That most people that I've come into contact with over the years are pushing their church, their ministry, their fellowship, what have you, and there's no plan of salvation on there. And yet Paul made it very clear that this crowd had received the gospel. They were standing uh, sinless in the eyes of the Lord, which is what justification in the sight of God means. But there was a possibility that some had believed in vain. And some people come along and say, well, maybe I haven't believed, you know, correctly, James. Maybe I'm one of those false converts from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 isn't about false converts, really. It's about those that were never saved to begin with. And yes, I know that it's a fine line between a false convert and somebody who's never saved to begin with. But the point is here that Paul wants to make it clear that this crowd may have believed in vain. And to avoid them believing in vain, he makes it clear from verse 3, how that Christ died for our sins. All of our sins. Past, present and future sins. And if you get that, if we get that and keep that in our hearts and minds, we will never stray. Nobody can ever come along and talk us out of our salvation. According to the scriptures, Old Testament Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Daniel chapter 9, and that he was buried because the wages of sin is death. And that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Death couldn't keep him down. Now when, when we die, we go into the ground and we stay in the ground. We can't bring ourselves up out of the ground. But John chapter 2 tells us, told us clearly that Christ could raise himself from the dead. That's a claim of deity. And yet when Muhammad died, according to my understanding of Islam, what I've read, his crowd wouldn't even bury him. Because they thought after three days he'd rise from the dead. How wrong they were. And here you've got people going to Saudi Arabia every year. Do the Hajj. And they call it the Hajj. They throw stones at this big ugly building. And they think that the remains of Muhammad are in Saudi Arabia to this day. Catholics have their shrines. Relics of their past people. You know, their saints, what have you, mystics. And yet if we could find one part of Christ's body. I mean just a toenail. Just a piece of hair. I mean, I'm, I don't want to be crude here, but just one segment, one part of Christ's body, it's all over. Because he's in heaven, and it was prophesied that he would come and die for the sins of the world. Also, Isaiah 26, I think, also speaks about that. That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And on top of that, that he was seen of Cephas, being Peter, who denied him, and Christ forgives him, which is a great picture. When we stumble, he'll, you know, he can forgive us and bring us back into fellowship with him. Then of the twelve... Of course, Judas was dead by then, so technically it's 11, but the 12 is a description for the apostles to understand. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under his presence, but some are fallen asleep. 
And I'll close there in verse 6, and that word is sleep. Sleeping in Christ. The body sleeps, not the soul. That's what the SDA have always got wrong. They think that when somebody dies, their soul sleeps. No, the body sleeps. What did Paul tell us? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you know, we were to die today in a car crash or a bus incident or a train crash, what have you, as saved people, we go straight to be with the Lord. We've already been with him, according to Ephesians 1 and 2, rolling with him in a spiritual sense. But here, the term is sleeping in Jesus, awaiting the rapture of their bodies, where they get glorified bodies. So, 11 verses from 1 Corinthians 15, just to refresh our minds over the next 14 days as to what the gospel is. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, and faith ultimately in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you trust that, if you believe in that, you're saved, and you're kept saved, and there's no works involved whatsoever.